Hey friends, welcome to the Robin Graham show. I'm so grateful you're joining me for another episode where we dive into entrepreneurship, faith, mental health, and so much more. I'm your host, Robin Graham, a brand strategist, business coach, and mentor. Join me every week to learn how mindset, strategy, and action combined will produce the results you were dreaming of. Discover your purpose and follow your God-led callings, values, visions, and passions to create a personal brand and strong foundation for long-term success. The sky is the limit when we spend time with like-minded people. Through interviews and solo episodes, we'll be diving into inspiring stories, life and business journeys of failure and success, and the strategies and tools used along the way. Ready to learn? Grab your cup of coffee, the car keys, or the dog's leash, and let's dive in to this episode. Hey friends, boy, do we have an interesting episode today. We are going to talk about sex trafficking and exploitation, a heavy topic. But the reason we're talking about this today is because Don Mansky has a very unique business model, and she is on a mission to increase awareness of sex trafficking, make a difference for these victims of sex trafficking. And she's going to walk us through how she's doing the work she's doing, why she's doing the work she's doing. But most importantly, she's going to bust some myths for us and then share how we as entrepreneurs, we can be as creative as we want to be. And I think God gives us so many opportunities. And when we have these opportunities, we're meant to then serve. We're meant to give back. We're meant to do good with all of the blessings that we are bestowed upon us. So that's exactly what Dawn is doing. And I wanted to share her with you and share her story with you to maybe generate ideas that you can then move forward to find an organization or a cause that you want to support, or maybe even tack on to Dawn's efforts. But there is always an opportunity to take what you have and do good with it. So we're going in with that mindset today, and we are going to dive right in here. Don Mansky, welcome to the Robin Graham show. Thank you so much, Robin. I am thrilled to be here. I am. I'm thrilled to have you, first of all. Welcome. But it's such a sensitive topic. I know very little about it. I know enough to probably be dangerous when talking about it. But I did have a former coaching client who is involved in this as well. And she too is using her business to help fund rescues and help women reacclimate to society and learn tools and strategies for supporting themselves going forward, which is similar to what you're doing. So I can take just a tiny bit of knowledge and ask good questions, but for the most part, I'm going to let you explain this to us and then share your business model as well, because I know it's one that's totally unique and I think is brilliant. So with all of that being said, I'm going to ask you to please just tell the listeners a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today, because it's an interesting journey. Thank you. It really is. I, interesting journey, I think is a good way to say it. <laughs> I never dreamed that I would be a business owner. This was not the path that I anticipated or hoped for, but I have spent my life following Jesus and wanting to be faithful. And so I would say that kind of summarizes what my passion really is being faithful. And when I graduated from college, I had spent a summer living in China, going to China on a short-term trip. And I ended up moving there, which I thought was going to be for a year, but it ended up being 10. So I lived in China for 10 years 
And because I felt like that's where God wanted me. Okay. If that's where God wants you, that's where you go. It's, it has nothing to do with, oh, this is what I love. This is what I don't like, whatever. It's being faithful. And I lived there for 10 years. And now looking back, I realized some of the things that I was learning while I was in there, in that country. And one of them, a couple of them really helped me understand better exploitation. So I didn't go there with this business in mind. I didn't have any plans on doing a business. I have two degrees in education and one in theology. Notice the lack of business there. Like that was not my plan. But while I was there, I saw a couple of the major vulnerabilities that people experience in exploitation, one of which is extreme poverty and one is devaluation of the girl child. So when I first got there, some friends and I would go every weekend to spend time with orphans. So we would go and just love on these orphans and spend time with them and hang out at the park. And what was so obvious was the number of little girls because of the culture, because of the emphasis placed on boys, devaluation of the girl child, all of these little girls had just been abandoned to orphanages. So they didn't have a family. They didn't have that support, which is another vulnerability, lack of support from friends and family. So these little girls were not valued by their culture or their society. They didn't have the support of friends and family. But another vulnerability that I saw while I was in China was I saw how trafficking and exploitation is so easy among the extreme poor people, not always men, often men, but sometimes women would go into communities that were extremely poor and they would look for the families. They would look for the people who were vulnerable. So I like to talk about five key components of exploitation which is also trafficking 101. That's really what it is. It's this, I'll go through it very quickly. I have a presentation that digs in much more, but the first one is vulnerabilities and that's a situation. The second one is procurers and perpetrators. And that's, those are people who are experts at identifying vulnerabilities. And then you have exploitation and the definition, the easy definition to see there is force, fraud, or coercion. Have you taken somebody by force, fraud, or coercion? And then there's rescue and restore, point number four. And point number five is return and reintegrate. So anyway, during my time living there, I really, I met people. I saw with my own eyes the, the effect of devaluation of the girl child. I saw the impact of extreme poverty. Because when someone, when a perpetrator goes into a poor community and says, oh, I can take your son or your daughter to the big city and they'll make lots of money and they'll be able to send you money. The family who is struggling just to feed their children thinks that's an amazing opportunity. They don't see that it's coercion and that it's a lie. And these children would be brought to the big cities and basically used as slave labor. And so I was learning these things while I lived in China. When I came back to the United States, I went to graduate school. I was at seminary in St. Louis. And during one of the informational lunches, I saw a video of an undercover reporter who went into, he was in Cambodia and he just wandered around asking for the youngest girls he could find. 
And it just ripped my heart out because he had a camera on him. So you could see they like took him down this little back alley and they took him into a room and they brought these girls in and they brought in probably seven or eight girls. And they looked like they ranged from maybe seven to 13. And these girls were just like ushered in. And I thought, how is it that we live in a world, one, where people want this, two, where girls are growing up, living, this is what they're doing growing up. And three, that we have adults that are forcing young girls to grow up like this. Like I just, I couldn't wrap my brain around any of it. And it's just sick. I don't think we can understand it. But the reality is there are people who for their own good, for their own sake, for their own greed will take advantage of other people. And it's really that simple. So anyway, I saw this and I And then it just hit me. And I was like, okay, this trafficking thing is way bigger than what I saw, what I thought I understood when I lived in Beijing. And I knew these street kids that had been brought to the big cities because of poverty. And I just, it weighed on me much that every conversation, it was like, that's what came back. When somebody was like whining about, I don't have the latest smartphone or something, it just... I was almost enraged because I was like, you don't understand problems like that. This Mm -hmm. is not a problem. And I think it was because I so badly wanted to do something and I just had no idea how to get involved. Mm -hmm. And until I was able to actually figure out, okay, I'm part of fighting this horrible thing. It just, it just was the thing that I was thinking about all the time. And I was like, what can I possibly do? living in St. Louis. I live in St. Louis. How am I going to help fight human trafficking? And then fast forward a few years and there was this incredibly wonderful, sweet, handsome man and I married him. So that's another story. But for the wedding, he got me a pair of sandals that I had seen with some friends and it had the greatest story of this integration of business and helping people. And Mm -hmm. these sandals told this really incredible story that I I point to as when I first understand social enterprise and it wasn't business exploiting people. And it wasn't this dichotomy of for-profit, non-profit that we think, we think there are these two worlds generate revenue, help people over here. How about we do it together? And it was this beautiful example of a business that I got really excited about. And I really liked the sandals. My husband got me the sandals for our wedding. And another wedding gift came from a friend and she was a bridesmaid. And at the time she was teaching English in Thailand. And she brought me several pairs of these pants that I had I had gotten one pair while I visited Thailand while living in China. And I was like, I can't find them in the United States. Could you please bring me some more of these fisherman pants? And she's thinking, okay, that's a strange wedding gift, but okay. And so the next day, leaving for our honeymoon, what do you think I'm wearing, Robin? The sandals and the pants. Of course. You always wear the new stuff, right? Yes, of course. So going to the airport, like a TSA agent comments on my pants. Now, when did, when was the last time that happened? <laughs> oh, I love your pants. Where did you get those? And I'm thinking, what? 
And then I get on the plane and the flight attendant was like, oh, those are so cool. Where can I get those pants? And I'm like, land. And anyway, this was the beginning of months. Still, I wear the pants and people go, people come out of the woodwork asking about these pants because they're very unique. They're very comfortable. And so literally a woman chased me through a parking lot to ask me about these pants. And at that point I was like, there is something going on. And when you look at like a typical business model or not a typical business model, but a business plan, what's the first question you answer? What's the problem? And I'm like, there is there. I'm not the only one that really likes these pants and they're not easy to find. Maybe I could start a business selling pants, but that's not who I am. Like, I just, that's, I don't want to, I don't want to spend my life, my energy selling pants. That's just, what else can I do? I like helping people. I like making an impact. I'm a teacher. I, all sorts of things. But then I remembered this business model that combined business with doing good. And this thing was still weighing on me. How do I get involved with this fighting this atrocity. And I was like, if these pants could be the foundation of the business that could help people coming out of this situation, then I would sell pants. So that's how Made for Freedom got started. And it has been such a journey. And I will do a little follow-up on the pants. People get so excited. I love these pants. Can you tell? I love these pants. They're super fun and they're comfortable. And they're cute. They really are. They're so much fun. but. We started partnering with a group in Thailand, which was apropos because the pants originally came from Thailand. We changed the pattern a little bit because to be completely honest, fisherman pants are really baggy on the backside, not very flattering, comfortable, but not flattering. I'm like, okay, if we're going to try and sell these things, we need to change this up a bit. So it's a little more flattering. So we changed the pattern and I thought we need to change the name because they're not really fisherman pants anymore. And so we came up with this name, Crea Belly, which is taken from creating a beautiful life. So we started making Crea Belly pants with this center that was working. They had young ladies coming out of marginalized populations and those who had come out of exploitation. And they were teaching them how to sew and they were making the pants. And after they made several orders of pants and they made some purses for us and things, I got a email from the director saying, our ladies are having wonderful opportunities now to further their education and start careers. That's great. That's wonderful. And then she continued and said, and we're no longer sewing. So that was not the greatest thing, but part of that's the kind of impact we want to have. We want to come alongside centers as they're developing and as they're teaching these women how to further their skills. So we're partnering, we're looking at a partnership with another group. We're going to get the pants. So if you go to madeforfreedom.com and you don't see the pants, don't don't freak out. The pants will be coming. But anyway, that's where we that's how we got started and as I was digging into this, trying to figure out how to start a business because I had no clue. I did, I did a research trip to India. So I was reading and I was visiting these places and trying to figure out what are the things that cause someone to end up in exploitation 
And what are the pieces needed to help them get out? And after exploitation is rescue and restore. And that's where, that's like your typical like safe house that we think of. And that is such an important part. And it's like therapy and legal services and counseling. But then there's that next piece that is often forgotten and that's return and reintegrate. And in order to be successful at that, Women have to have a skill. They have to be able to support themselves. So that's where we come in. So when I summarize what Made for Freedom does, I go through this five points and I say, oh, so we provide dignified employment because I saw the value and how providing a good job, a safe place, a good wage, an encouraging environment provides, it prevents some of those vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. So you provide a good job for someone who's extremely poor or for someone who has, doesn't have the support from family and friends. And that removes some of that vulnerability, but we also provide jobs for those who have survived exploitation and they are now trying to return to society and reintegrate. And they are now able to support themselves, which means they're not vulnerable again. So we work with the people here and we work with the people here. We partner with centers that are providing dignified employment to remove some of that vulnerability for those who are marginalized and those who have been rescued or have survived this. Mm, I love it so much. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot, but I love it. It's so informative. So I have a couple of questions because you're talking about China, Thailand, India, Colombia, these are all countries where we know this is happening every single day. But it's it is not restricted to these far off places. This is also happening right here in our own country in the United States. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing globally, human trafficking is the fastest growing industry. Illegal. Let me Illegal. let me forget. <laughs> but it is an industry. It's supply and demand. And unfortunately, it is the fastest growing illegal industry. And it looks different in different places. But any place in this world where you go, you have people who are vulnerable. And you have people who are so consumed with themselves, they're willing to put other people at risk. They're willing to use, manipulate, exploit other people. So in the United States, yes, it's here. So a vulnerable population, refugees and immigrants, some of our products are made by refugees and immigrants that live in St. Louis that fled their country because of war. We're hearing a lot about that right now, but this is always a situation. And when someone doesn't speak the language well, when does when someone doesn't understand the culture, there are plenty of employers that will take advantage of that. So providing a good job means they're not being exploited. We have some other products. Some of our bath and body are made by women coming out of domestic violence situations. So a woman who has been through this trauma, who's been through this situation is very much at risk. It's like she may not have the skills to support herself. She doesn't have the self-esteem. She doesn't have the support of friends and family. So the vulnerabilities 
are a little different. We have poverty in the United States, but not to the extent that we see in places like India and China. Devaluation of the girl child. Are we where we need to be as women? No. But are we far beyond the culture, the societal approach of, oh, I'm so sorry, you're having a baby girl? No, that's not our culture. We are far beyond that. So devaluation of the girl child is not one we see so much in the United States. But let's talk about lack of support from friends and family. That is all over the place. I won't say everywhere. There are incredible families supporting their children. One of the populations in the United States that is the most vulnerable, the kids in our foster system. Those kids don't have a family. They kind of like the baby girls that I was seeing in the orphanages in China. Yeah. When a kid ends up in our foster system, That kid has been through trauma. That kid doesn't have the support of friends and family. That kid is so vulnerable. A huge percentage. It's somewhere, and I don't remember exactly the percentage, but it's the high 90s, no, sorry, high 80s, low 90s percentage of kids who age out of our system because at 18, they can age out. They can Mm -hmm. stay in if they opt to stay in until 21 in most states. But at 18, they pretty much age out. The number of kids who age out of our foster system and end up either homeless, in jail, or being prostituted is in the high 80s to 90 percentile. Yeah. I interviewed Derek Kirk. He's, I want to say he's in Michigan, maybe Detroit. I can't remember for sure now, but he shared a story of his journey from foster care. And when he became 18, he was homeless. Between now for him, he had, he excelled. So he was able to go to college, but he had a summer there weeks where he had no place to go. He had no home. Once you're out, I'll link that episode in the show notes because it's another story of just strength and resiliency and perseverance. But I just wanted to link that because it's a similar story, but there's so much to be said too about self-confidence, self-esteem, like when girls, especially I think, and boys, both when they are lacking that, and when they are lacking resources, they become prey. And there are people that prey on that population. It's very frightening. It's very sad. What can we do as women? Obviously we can purchase from you, which would then support (laughs) these women, but what else can we suggest to the listeners? What can you suggest to us as means of helping reduce these vulnerabilities? Is it through mentorship programs? Like, Are there mentorship programs? I know of one in LA because I interviewed Betty Lamar who started, and I am not going to remember the name off the top of my head of her organization. And she's since retired. Somebody else took it over, but that's in LA. We don't all live in LA. So we can't all volunteer there. We can all donate there, but what are other ways that we can mentor or get involved with youth. There's big brothers, big sisters, organizations like that. But what are other things that you can recommend to us that so we can maybe reduce the vulnerabilities and then also get involved to help rescue and then reintegrate? Yeah, I really, I do believe that big brothers, big sisters is a good organization and but it's about building relationship. There are opportunities at schools where you can just sit and read with an elementary student. 
building that relationship, having someone in their life that can encourage them, that can be there, that can be a support. That's so valuable. Like when it starts at a young age, not when they're teenagers and they're already rebellious and they don't want to have anything to do with adults, but starting building relationships where you can when they're younger. People talk about going on a rescue to help women that are in brothels and red light districts. They have already gone through the seasoning process. They are settled. They think that's all they have in life. The best way to reach women that are living that life or men is to build relationship and to come alongside them and get to know them and help them understand that. So One way to do that is just where can you build relationship? I think another way that we can make a difference is by looking at our purchases. And I'm not going, oh, buy everything from Made for Freedom. But when we're talking about a business model, there are a lot of business models that will say, oh, we're helping this cause and we're helping this cause. But look at the business model. So here's an example that I love to share. So a friend of mine died from breast cancer and it was horrible. She was young. It was tragic. But her mom, I worked with her mom and she, her mom brought in this magazine and it had all of these products that the proceeds went to benefit research to fight breast cancer. I'm all about that. I want to see breast cancer come to an end. I want research done so that we don't have to deal with this. So I'm looking through the magazine. I like scarves. I like pink. There's a pink scarf. And it was quite a bit more expensive than I would normally, like than the normal range of scarves that I would typically buy. But I was like, no, the proceeds are going to help this thing. And this was right when I was starting Made for Freedom. And I ordered it. I had to wait a little while. And while I was two weeks for delivery or whatever, I kept seeing this magazine. So I was flipping through and then I saw the tiny print and it said 0.05% of the proceeds go to this. And as I was building Made for Freedom, it was kind of like, okay, pants to help women coming out of this situation. And I had advisors that said, Dawn, just get the pants at a factory and sell them and give part of your proceeds. And that's a very, that's a very common business model. So people hear about Made for Freedom and they think, oh, you give part of the proceeds. And no, because as I'm learning about the fashion industry, as I'm learning about these things, there are so many things being made at sweatshops and exploiting people. And around that time was when Rana Plaza in Bangladesh, a factory sewing clothing collapsed and killed a thousand people because horrible work environment, getting paid almost nothing like poverty wage, which leads to generational poverty. So I'm looking at this. I see this 0.05%. I was hacked off. And I was like, are you kidding me? And you're not telling me where this scarf was made. Was this scarf made in Bangladesh at a sweatshop and you paid five cents for it? And now you're selling it for all of this and you're talking about how good it is and it's 0.05%. So I would say learn, 
learn to ask good questions about the things that we're purchasing. Where was this made? Don't tell me about all the good you're doing. Don't tell me about, oh, we're supporting this, we're supporting that. If you're getting stuff made at a sweatshop, if you're getting stuff made paying a poverty wage, you're part of the problem because Mm -hmm. you're part of generational poverty which is one of the vulnerabilities that make people susceptible to exploitation. And I think before we came on and actually hit record, we were talking and we both agree that it is much better. And you used the fish example, give a man a fish or teach the man to fish. So if you can find organizations that are actually teaching skills that people can then go out and use to create a life for themselves, then we're changing the world. And it's so easy to get the checkbook out and write a check. But we had Dana Donafrey was on and she's a breast cancer survivor and she owns Anna Ono Intimates. And it's a line of intimate wear for women who have, are, have breast cancer, have had mastectomies, whatever. And she is doing the same thing. Like she's very passionate about a lot of these breast cancer research organizations. There are these organizations that claim to be giving money back to research, they are giving such a tiny percent. And she's on a mission to change that. And she's, she is like you, the people that are making her products are people that are now going to have a much better life. She's reducing that level of vulnerability. So I think that is one of the, I think most powerful messages we can leave today, leave everyone with today is that do your homework. If some make sure that if somebody is making a claim, that claim is legitimate, not just from, okay, they're giving 0.05%, but what are they doing outside of that tiny little number to make sure that lives are being improved? And who's making the product? That's exactly part of it. It's who made the widget, who made the coat. And, And sometimes that's really hard to to unwrap and to reveal. It's hard to dig in and get that, but trying to figure that out is really good. And I would say also just continue learning, continue understanding this. So for example, if you were out and about wherever and somebody was next to you and you saw something, if someone was a victim of trafficking at that moment, the pimp the procurer is with this young lady. Do you know what the risk factors are? Would you be able to identify, like, we have to pay attention to the people around us. We are a massive community. That's what we are. Humankind, we are a massive community. And when we are paying attention and when we are aware of the people around us, would you be able to identify those red flags? Would you go, something is off here. I have a free PDF that I offer just with a list of red flags so that people can better understand what it is to keep an eye out for. What are those things that should trigger you by saying, oh, something's off here. I'm going to watch a little more carefully to see if maybe this is what I think it is, or so that you can make a phone call and say, I think this is what's happening right here but continue learning more about it so that you're more aware so that we all can play a part in bringing this to an end and revealing it and bringing it to the light so that it doesn't happen. So that it's not the fastest growing illegal industry so that we don't have people that are ending up in this for years, but 
be aware, know your stuff, continue learning about it, do what you can to volunteer, to donate, get involved, put some skin in the game, give your time, give, just do what you can. There are so many different ways, but it's, it's, When we all step in the story of the starfish, we have a beautiful little rhinestone starfish necklace that I love because it was inspired by the story of the starfish of the young boy who was walking down the beach, throwing starfish back because so many had washed up. And this old guy was like, what are you doing? And he said, I'm saving the starfish. And the guy was like, there are thousands of starfish and there's only one of you. What difference can you make? And he said, he picked one up and he put it in the water. He's like, I made a difference to that one. So even if it's a small part, if we all kind of step in and do our part. One of my favorite pieces, and I'm just going to tell you about, it just came into my mind, but we have a necklace and it's got a heart cut out of the middle. It's like gold and black. And then we have a silver and black that has a star cut out of the middle. And these necklaces, the inside piece is cut out, made into another necklace. Those necklaces are taken by outreach teams that know how to approach someone still living in that life, someone who's working in a red light district. And they take that as a gift and they say, you are valuable and you have dignity. And we want to give you this. We don't want anything in return, but we want you to know that someone wearing the other part of this is standing for your freedom. And They receive this necklace. They're not accustomed to having a gift without having to give something in return. But they see so many of these young ladies who wear the necklace and after thinking and building that relationship, come back to the center and say, I remember what you said, and I'm ready to do something different with my life. I'm ready to leave this life and see that I am valuable. It's so incredible to be part of this much bigger movement yeah. to fight human trafficking. And in reality, we're selling things. We're selling stuff. Like that's what we're doing. But every purchase is the result of providing dignified employment. And that is just surrounded by services and counseling and encouragement and support. And so it's all of these things wrapped up with every purchase. So the more we can sell, the more jobs are created and the more encouragement and support are provided. Yeah. I love it. I love the work you're doing. And thank you. Thank you so much for doing it and being a good example for the rest of us as well and giving us, shedding some light for us on how we too can get involved and watch for things. And will you share with everyone where they can download that PDF? I want to make sure that everyone does download that. Yeah. Actually, if you just go to madeforfreedom.com and the top banner you can see a little thing that says red flags. I'll also give you a link where people can sign up and they can figure out some other things that, that they can do to get involved. We, for example, like I said, we have a, I have a presentation that I go much more in depth about the five key components of exploitation and really flesh out each of the five stages. We, I talked a lot about vulnerability today, but there are so many other parts of this and that just as an educational piece, but yeah, madeforfreedom.com. That's where you can find our products and the PDF. I'll put all of those links in the show notes too, so that people can definitely 
Great. Find your store, hopefully purchase from you, but 100% download that PDF because I think that's something that we all need to be more aware that that's one of the most important steps. Okay, Dawn, thank you so much for being here. Yes, it was wonderful. Thank you for having me. Friends, did you know that I have a resource page on my website with free eBooks to help you navigate anxiety or to build a successful business? Just go to www.therobingraham.com forward slash resources and download your free eBooks today. And that's a wrap friends. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review. Ratings and reviews are how we grow and more people find the show. It would mean the world to me. And let's connect. You can find me on Instagram, Clubhouse, Facebook, and LinkedIn as The Robin Graham. Have questions about building a personal brand and business for success? Book a free mentorship call with me at www.therobingraham.com. Until next time, remember to smile.